So, uh, again, uh, as is our custom going through the book of Acts, we are going to dive right in uh, because there's a lot of ground to cover, as usual. We started a series here several weeks back, back in May, uh, uh, through the book of Acts, going chapter by chapter, week by week, through the entire book. Uh, we have covered 16 chapters so far, and tonight we are in Acts chapter 17. This is a series that we are calling Unleashed. And uh, this series, Unleashed, is all about how uh, God unleashed his people, how he unleashed his church, how he unleashed his Holy Spirit into the world to change the world for Jesus Christ. And so last week we were in Acts chapter 16, and we talked about how uh, Paul and Silas were in prison. And we said that when we are in the prison, we need to be like Paul and Silas. Sometimes in our lives, we feel like we are in a prison. We may feel like we are imprisoned in our marriage. We may feel like we are imprisoned at work. We may feel like we are imprisoned in our homes. Uh, we may feel like we are imprisoned in our minds or in our hearts. We may feel stuck. And sometimes we feel stuck financially, relationally, emotionally, uh, occupationally. We feel stuck. And feeling stuck is just an awful feeling. And, and we feel like we are in prison. But what did Paul and Silas do when they were in a literal prison? They did two things. They prayed and they praised. They prayed through their, uh, they prayed in their prison cell and they praised God. Even in the midst of their prison, even in the midst of their prison cell, they praised God. And then not only that, but God used their prison cell to set someone else free. And that was the Philippian jailer. And we saw last week that sometimes God is going to use our prison and the ways that we feel stuck to minister to somebody else. And that what we're going through may help somebody else. So when we're in the prison, we pray to the one who can break the shackles and break the chains. And we praise the one who has a plan and has a purpose, no matter what prison we may find ourselves stuck in. And we allow God to work through our prison in order to change someone else's life. And that's what he does, because he's good that way. So tonight we're in Acts chapter 17. If you brought a Bible, grab your Bible, turn to Acts 17. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can uh, follow along on a Bible app on your phone uh, or on your tablet, like Bible Gateway or YouVersion, uh, or you can follow along in the GFCC app. And we have our own app here at GFCC. If you haven't gotten it yet, go to your app store and search for GFCC, and you can download it from the Google Play Store or the iTunes Store. Follow along with the sermon notes, give your tithes and offerings. Uh, we have a digital book bulletin and the digital newsletter that are on the app as well. Uh, all kinds of ways to, to keep in touch and keep engaged with GFCC through the app. So if you got the app, pull that out now and let's talk about Acts chapter 17. Now at the end of Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were in Philippi. The gospel had gone to the continent of Europe for the very first time. Uh, and so they were in Philippi. That's where they were jailed. And that's where they were busted out of jail by God. After an earthquake, uh, they baptized Lydia, who was a dealer in fine purple cloth. And they also baptized the Philippian jailer and his entire household after the prisoners did not escape, even though they could have. So after they were in Philippi, they leave Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, and some other traveling companions, they leave from Philippi and they start making their way into Greece. Okay, we pick it up uh, in Acts chapter 17, uh, verse 
2. Now, they have come to Thessalonica, which is a fun word to say, but it was a major city uh, on a major trade route in Macedon, uh, in, which is in Greece, uh, modern-day Greece. So uh, they go to the Jewish synagogue, and this is what it says in verse 2. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. So Paul uh, is in the synagogue. This was his custom. Whenever he went into a city, if there was a synagogue, he would go to the synagogue and reason with the Jewish people there, the Jewish people, as well as the Gentile converts to the Jewish faith. He would reason with them about Jesus being the Messiah. And the reason that he did this is because there was common ground with those Jewish people of being a, poly, a, a monotheistic people. They believed in one God, not many gods like the Greeks and Romans around them. Uh, they believed in the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so they had this commonality, and Paul would start there with that common ground and build on it from there to introduce people to Jesus. And this is a really important principle of evangelism, that when we're going to tell people about Jesus, we need to find common ground with them first. We don't just walk up to somebody and hit them in the head with the Bible going, you need to believe in Jesus. We need to find common ground with people in order to share uh, those touch points where Jesus touches the points of their lives. Okay, And that's what Paul did. He went to people with whom he had common ground, and he started with them first. So for three Sabbath days, three weeks in a row, Paul goes into the synagogue in Thessalonica and begins to reason with them about who Jesus is. The problem is, is that uh, some, the good thing is some people turned and they started following Jesus. They became Christians. But there was a group of Jewish people who were not quite happy with what Paul was doing. And they actually went out and they rounded up a group of, um, well, miscreants, I would say. Uh, the Bible says they, they were people of bad character. And so they went and got some bad characters and they riled them up and they formed a mob and they went to go to the house of a man named Jason, where Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, and the others were staying. So they go to Jason's house. We have no idea who Jason was, but he had a house and that's where they were staying. So they go to Jason's house and they're like, bring out Paul and Silas and bring out those guys. And uh, they weren't there. And so they, they grab Jason and they take him before the town council uh, and they say that, um, that Paul was telling people that they needed to believe in a different God other than Caesar. And that he was making people, trying to get people to turn away from worshiping Caesar and, and to worship Jesus instead. So they, uh, they made uh, Jason post bond and they let him go. And Paul and Silas uh, slip out um, from, uh, from Thessalonica, and they make their way to the city of Berea. Now, Berea was a smaller city, but at one time it was a major city. Uh, it was 50 miles away from Thessalonica, uh, and it was also in Macedon. It was in Greece. Uh, so they go from uh, Thessalonica to Berea, uh, and, and there's a very interesting uh, characteristic of the Bereans that we're going to see here in just a second. So they go to Berea and they go to the Jewish synagogue there. Look at verse 11. It says, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. 
For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. They were verifying what Paul was saying. And, and it's very interesting that uh, they were, they're described as being of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. That those in Thessalonica heard the message and immediately on impulse started to persecute Paul and Silas. But the Bereans were listening to what Paul was saying. They're like, man, I wonder if that's true. And so they would go and they would search the scriptures, it says. They would search the Old Testament scriptures, probably the Psalms and the Proverbs uh, and uh, those writings. And, and they would search the Jewish scriptures to, to figure out if indeed Jesus was the Messiah. Verse 12. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. And so the, uh, Paul is having success with the Bereans that he didn't have with the Thess Thessalonians. And, and people are, again, they're putting their faith and trust in Jesus. They're believing in him. Uh, but the people back in Thessalonica heard that Paul had gone to Berea. And so they send a mob from Thessalonica over to Berea in order to, again, stir up the crowds and agitate people in Berea. Uh, so uh, the believers in Berea immediately send Paul and Silas away. And uh, uh, they send Paul away, but Silas and Timothy stayed back in Berea. Um, but Paul said, I want Silas and Timothy to join me as soon as possible. Okay? And that brings us to verses 16 and 17. Paul leaves Berea and he goes to Athens. Now, how many of you have heard of the city of Athens? Yeah, kind of a major city. Uh, in Greece, the capital of Greece, whereas Berea was a one-time uh, 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 capital of one of the four divisions of Macedon, Athens is the big city in Greece, the capital of Greece. Verse 16 says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now the Greek word there for uh, distressed means infuriated. So he sees this city of Athens full of idols and it infuriates him. So he reasoned in verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day, those who happened to be there. So not only did he go to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, but he also went into the marketplace every day to uh, talk and reason with people in the marketplace. So now he's kind of branched out a little bit. Normally he just goes into a city and he goes and speaks to the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks in the synagogue. But now he's in the marketplace and there are people who are interested in hearing him talk. Verse 18, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them said, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So let me explain to you a little bit about what an Epicurean is and what a Stoic is. Uh, Epicureans were people who believed that uh, we are all made up of atoms, um, but we do not have an afterlife. That all we live for is this life. The Epicureans... Um, believed in pleasure. Uh, they believed in food. Uh, Epicureans to this day are described as people who love food, right? 
So the Epicureans were people who lived for pleasure, avoiding pain, but they did not believe in an afterlife, so this life is all you got. The Stoics, on the other hand, uh, had a higher reasoning. Uh, they believed in a quote-unquote universal reason or the logos, and that's a word you'll hear at the beginning of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the word, the logos, the highest reason. In the beginning was Jesus. Okay? So the Stoics believed in a universal reason. They believed in the Logos. They believed uh, that um, people did live forever. And so you got two different sides of, a, of, of, the, of philosophy coming together to talk to Paul. And they want to know what Paul is going to say. Verse 19 through, verses 19 through 21. It says, Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. So he's talking about Jesus. Uh, the uh, Epicureans and Stoics lived in a city where it was full of temples to all kinds of Greek and Roman gods. And Paul is talking about Jesus. And they think, well, this is just a new God that he's advocating that he's talking about. Verse 20, you are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. Verse 21, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. How many of you are familiar with TED Talks? You ever watch TED Talks online? They have these different uh, conferences, TED conferences, where people will get up and they will share different ideas and things that they've researched. Uh, and, and they do these uh, 15 to 20 minute talks about all kinds of different ideas. And this kind of reminds me of like a TED conference, like a TED talk. Because all they do, all these philosophers do is sit around and they talk about the latest ideas. It's kind of like the world that we're living in today. You've got people who live for nothing but pleasure. You got people who believe that there uh, is a, um, uh, a divine spark within, within everyone. That's what the Stoics believed. They believed that they, they were pantheists. They believed that God was in everyone and in everything. We got people like that in our world who believe that everyone has the divine spark within them, that everyone has God within them. So you got people who believe in living for pleasure, people who believe that uh, God is in everyone and in everything. And then you've also got Christians like us who believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that there's no way to get to the Father except through him. And that's what Paul was advocating. Paul was talking about Jesus being the Son of God. And so he, uh, they, they want to hear from him. They want to know what he has to say. And this is what he says in verses 22 and 23. It says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Well, he could say that here in America, couldn't he? People of America, I see that you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I I'm going to proclaim to you. So Paul's walking around Athens and he sees all these temples and all of these idols for stone and silver and gold. He sees all this stuff. And he says, I see that you guys are very religious, but I'm going to tell you, you even have a statue. You even have a, a, an altar to a God. You don't even know who it is to an unknown, unnamed God. And he's like, this is the one I want to tell you about. Verses 24 and 25. The God who made the world 
and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Again, Athens was full of temples where they believed the gods dwelled. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And then he begins to tell the story of the Old Testament. He tells the story how God called the people for himself. And through that people, he was going to send the Messiah, Jesus. And so he's saying, this unknown God is the God I know. It's a God you don't know yet, but he's the God I know. Verse 27. God did this. He, he, he planned out all of history and he put people right where he wanted them. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. And so this unknown God that you have a, 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 an altar to, this unknown God is a God that can be known. That God wants to know you. God wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And that is made possible through his son, Jesus. And so um, he says this uh, about people who worship gods of silver and stone and gold. Verse 30, he says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. God commands all people everywhere to repent. He overlooked uh, the uh, pagan worship of people uh, for a long time, uh, but now it was time for people everywhere to repent. We've talked before about the Greek word for repentance. It means a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. And so he's telling the, the Greeks and the Athenians that it is time to repent of their, uh, of their uh, idolatry. It's time to repent of their um, polytheism. And to turn to the God who wants them to turn to him. Turn to the God who wants to know them. Turn to the God who wants to have a relationship with them. Turn to the God, the one true God. The God of Jesus Christ. The God who is Jesus Christ. The Messiah. Now, I want to talk with you a little bit here for just a couple minutes. About what it means to dive deeper. Because I see that as kind of the theme of, of chapter 17. It's, it's diving deeper. And my encouragement to you today is that you would want, uh, my hope is that you would want to dive deeper into your faith. That the surface level faith just isn't cutting it for you anymore. And you want to dive deeper. So there's three things that diving deeper requires. First, Diving deeper requires effort. Diving deeper requires effort. That's what the Bereans did. When we talked about the Bereans a few minutes ago, the Bereans were diving deeper, but they had to put the effort in. They had to search the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. They couldn't just take it at face value and go, hey, sounds good, sure, why not? No, they dove deeper and they put in the effort to think about their faith. Our faith is a reasonable faith. It is a faith uh, that we need to think about. It is a faith that we need to put effort into. And so my encouragement to you this, 
this, this fall is to join a connection group. Uh, our associate minister, Brandon, is working on getting uh, a couple things ready for connection groups to start up. One, we have purchased a home right next door, and that is going to be our connection group home. There's going to be a room for kids to play in, but there's also a room that you can study in, uh, as well as we'll have technological capabilities for your connection group to have virtual members, as well as people in the room. And so we want people to be part of connection groups because it is in your group that you are going to go deeper in your faith. You are going to learn more about God's word. You are going to learn more about how to have a relationship with Jesus. And so in the next month, Brandon is going to be working on getting all the information to you about joining a connection group or leading a connection group or facilitating a connection group. So if you have questions about connection groups, I want you to talk to my friend Brandon. He's our associate minister. He's doing a great job. And uh, I want you to talk to Brandon about joining a connection group so that you can dive deeper. But it requires effort on your part. You can't just sit back and wait for somebody to spoon feed you your faith. When my little guy was a real little guy, there was a time in his life where he was sitting in a high chair and I was putting the spoon in the cereal and giving it to him. And I do the same thing that every parent does. <laughs> right? And I put the, but at some point, and I don't remember when it was, but I know he grabbed that spoon out of my hand and said, I'll do it myself. And he started feeding himself. That lasted for about two years. And then he just started eating everything with his hands, his pancakes, everything with his hands. He's a boy. Um, but the fact is he started feeding himself. And I know a lot of Christians who have been Christians for 15, 20 years, who still don't feed themselves. They sit back and wait for somebody to feed them, to spoon feed them their faith. The time has come to put in some effort. Pick up a spoon, feed yourself, join a connection group, read your Bible, fellowship with other Christians, feed your faith. Don't wait for somebody to do it for you. Join a group, get involved serve uh, in the church, take those deeper steps of faith. Diving deeper requires effort. Secondly, diving deeper requires thought. Like I said, Christianity is a reasonable faith. It is a thinking faith. We need to develop critical thinking skills about our faith. And, and I want to I turn you to a couple of resources. One is a website called reasons.org, reasons.org. It's a, by a, um, uh, an organization called Reasons to Believe, and it's all about the reasonableness of our faith. We have a missionary uh, named Gene Calderon who goes to Purdue University Northwest, and he goes and he talks to college students about the reasonableness of our faith, that our faith is a thinking faith. It's not just a blind faith. It's not just a, oh yeah, sure, why not? No, we can think about our faith, and we need to think about our faith. And that's what Paul was encouraging the, uh, the Athenians to do. He was presenting the reasonableness of our faith. And so reasons.org is a great website to go to. Uh, you can read a book uh, like The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel or Letters from a Skeptic by Greg Boyd. It's a series of letters between him and his father. His father wasn't a Christian. He was a seminary professor. And they wrote letters back and forth uh, and where Greg answered all of the questions that his father had about faith. And he answered them in such a way that his father became a Christian. 
So I encourage you, pick up a book like Letters from a Skeptic. Pick up a book like Case for Christ. Um, Go to reasons.org and learn more about why our faith is a reasonable faith. But it requires thought. We got to think. Because I got news for you. People are out there, they're thinking about why Christianity isn't true. And they're coming up with defenses and reasons and attacks uh, about why Christianity isn't true. And we don't help ourselves any when we can't defend our own faith. It's a, it's a thing called apologetics. It's not apologizing for our faith, faith. It's defending our faith. And we need to learn uh, and do a better job of defending our faith. So diving deeper requires effort. Diving deeper requires thought. Finally, diving deeper requires repentance. If you want to go deeper in your faith, if you want to go deeper in your walk with Jesus, you need to repent. We need to repent of things like self-reliance. We need to repent of things like self-satisfaction. We need to repent of selfishness and self-centeredness. We need to repent of lackadaisical Christianity where we uh, are just content to sit back and just let the world pass us by. No, we have got to repent of our laziness and our complacency in the church. We need to repent. And maybe, maybe you need to repent uh, for the first time. Maybe you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus and, and start a journey of faith with him. And you do that by believing in him, believing that he is the son of God, the savior of the world. You do that by repenting and turning away from sin and turn to God for forgiveness. You need to acknowledge your faith by confession, confessing that Jesus is savior and Lord and getting baptized. And if you haven't taken those steps of faith yet, I want to have that conversation with you about how you can take those steps of faith to begin a journey of faith with Jesus. But if you are a Christian and you've been lazy in your faith, you've been complacent in your faith, or we as a church have been complacent as a church to just kind of sit back on our laurels and rest. No, it's the time to come as repent. Time has come to repent. We need to move forward. We need to repent of our laziness and our complacency as a church, not just GFCC, but in, in America, the church in America needs to repent of, of our laziness and our complacency and our self-satisfaction and our selfishness and our self-centeredness, that we are not reaching out to the world in love and in, and in, in God's kindness. We need to repent. If we want to go deeper in our faith, if we want to go deeper in our impact, we need to repent. We as a church and we as Christians are being called to go deeper in faith, deeper in commitment, deeper in devotion, deeper with Jesus. And my prayer for us tonight is that we would do just that, that we'll put in the work, put in the effort, we'll put in the thought, and, we'll, and, we'll, and we will repent of the things that have grieved our Lord for far too long. And when we go deeper, we'll discover a richness that comes from knowing Jesus like we've never known. And that right there is what it means to go deeper.